Hello and welcome back to Casting Nuts Podcast. I am one of your hosts, the magnanimous Pastor Will Harley, and I am here with the always gracious and very well-dressed, I might add, Pastor Dave Rudot. Dave, why don't you give a, your your hello? Hello, everyone. And uh, with the, uh, it's kind of a bummer. Uh, it is more than a bummer. It's a sad thing to think about what's going on in Ukraine and Russia but I had this opportunity to learn more about Russian history. And did you know, what did the Russians use to light their homes before candles? I don't know. Electricity. (laughs) (laughs) All joking aside, (laughs) I don't mean to laugh at the expense of the Russian people who are bearing the brunt for their leaders. Um, foolhardy uh, invasion of ukraine but anyway humor is humor jokes are jokes doesn't and, always reveal exactly everything about us but no but sometimes the only way to deal with stressful situations is to to laugh about it because otherwise you you turn around and you'll cry and and then you you, you can't live life in tears um so that brings us actually very well into our topic for today, because today we get to deal with um, just one more note <clears throat> on um, our book of Leviticus. So hopefully you've enjoyed our travels through Leviticus. Hopefully you've learned something and found out that the book of Leviticus isn't that hard of a book to approach, um, as long as we are approaching it in the light of God working for us this is sacrament. This is divine service. This is this is the Lord keeping His people holy and connected to Him. And when we approach uh, the Book of Leviticus that way, this is this is just a beautiful, beautiful book. A beautiful book of of how God has given us this opportunity to to know Him and to interact with Him. But there's still one more thing. There's one more thing. Well, maybe a couple of more things that we have to talk about. And so uh, uh, we are going to jump into chapters 23 through 27 and then maybe sort of sum up our main thoughts about yeah, the book. Three. I have three takeaways that I have taken from Leviticus and you are free to bounce off of those three things. I, I probably will because um, I, I did apply my mind to it last night and um, I came up with one main thing that, that I thought was the most And important. I think your main thing is going to be my main thing too, but there's two other things. That, well, then so, we I get mean, to share. <laughs> then we get to as long as everyone knows I came up with it first. <laughs> <laughs> it's not about the Bible revealing its information to us. It's about Will understanding it first before everybody else. I'm glad we understand that. <laughs> <laughs> before, jokes, aside. <laughs> jokes aside, before this devolves into something that'll get us all into trouble, we would like to give you our disclaimer, which is it is just the musings of two pastors as we gather here around our table and we have a good opportunity to talk about God's word. So as we do this, if there's something that is said that you take great offense to, don't take it personally. Turn us off. Settle down. Do come back. Listen to maybe something else that we have put out. By all means, contact us either through our our uh, email, which is pass, uh, castingnets 
pod at gmail.com or through Facebook or in person when you come to church and you worship with us and have an opportunity to hear uh, God's grace ring out for you in the service um, as we have an opportunity to help lead that. And it is a humbling experience to hear that uh, come from the lips of one sinner to the ears of another. And so as you do those things, uh, hopefully you are edified by this. But if not, again, it's okay. We, we know that we can't strike a chord with everyone, um, and, and that does not offend us. So without further ado, let's uh, have our little intro music, and we will jump on in to our topic at hand. So in chapter 23, we don't just have the uh, we don't just have the Lord telling God's people how they were to offer sacrifices. He didn't just give instructions as to the priests and what they should do. God didn't just outline what is holy and what is common. But now he's going to talk about holy times. It's just one more thing. Oh, by the way, here is a list of festivals uh, that you are to celebrate and it, it's kind of divided into two sections. You have your spring festivals and your fall festivals. The spring festivals, oddly enough, really uh, correlate to the life of Jesus. And the fall festivals, oddly enough, correlate to the life of the church. But the number, the number one festival is a festival that you won't find in keeping with the stars or the heavenly bodies or the anything that's going on in the world, it's a festival that God institutes because he is God, and that festival is the Sabbath day. That's the day of rest, right? Day of rest. Isn't that Saturday? Saturday. <laughs> in the Old Testament. <laughs> well, are you playing dumb today, Will? For those, for those freed by, by the, the, the gospel and freed by the grace of our Lord. It's any day that you can set aside and focus on, on the grace that God has given to you and the creation that God has, has grace graciously allowed you to live in. Um, the Sabbath day is an interesting day though, right? Um, I mean, this is, this is something that, that the Jewish people really take to heart and, and they really nail uh, the Sabbath day down and say, if you have certain practices, you can only go certain distances. You can only do certain things. You can only, if you're weaving, you can only do two threads. That's it. Or undo two threads. That's it. If you want to write uh-huh. uh, something down, two letters. That's it. Uh, even today, uh, it's the making sure that the light bulb in the refrigerator is unscrewed so that on the Sabbath day, there's no work done by the refrigerator um, other than, of course, keeping your food cold. So it, they take it to the nth degree. Well, even um, we were we were part of a community for a while, um, Mequon, Wisconsin, and that's very very um, Jewish community, and they they have a lot of synagogues, and they were within like a mile of each other, and you're like, why so many synagogues within a mile? A very Orthodox Jew community, and they can't drive on the Sabbath day, and you can only walk to the synagogue to the synagogue, and it has to be a certain distance from from their people's houses. And so you had so many because they had to be within walking distance of, of, of their house because you walking too far would be work and walking 
um, only under that is is okay. Um, so yeah, the, the Sabbath day becomes this <clears throat> very heavily um, structured. And, and interestingly enough, and maybe this is something that 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 all people do, and 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 this could be something to talk about. But throughout all of these festivals, these festivals, I think, kind of change from God's intent as they get processed through our sinful brains and they become the regulations that we have to perform instead of this is God's way of, of, of making sure we stay in contact with him um, so that we are continually, you know, yes, we had earlier in the book, every day you're supposed to be doing something every, but how many people really did that? We know they didn't. And some did, but we know that they didn't, but God makes these, these wonderful festivals that there was never a time when the people shouldn't be thinking i get to come to worship i get to come to have the lord serve me in these ways um i get to take a break and and i i get to focus on the lord and instead in our in our sinful mind we we went uh i have this regulate i had to do that and, and it becomes the the formulaic you know what i mean that's a, a, an excellent point because in all of the religions of the world it's always you have to do this in order for your god to be happy and the sabbath day is very lutheran in that you do nothing you just sit there and let the lord do everything do everything for you let let the lord make sure you're provided for um as, as the lord reads as a priest would of course the priest would have to work on the sabbath day but the, the intent with god's people were to rest well pastors um, work on the sabbath day yeah, too right so uh, the idea of just do nothing and you will be blessed and how God's people, uh, how the Israelites turn that into, well, it's all about me and doing or not doing. I have to make sure I, I don't work at all, that I don't uh, break a sweat on this day. Instead of it being a day of sacred assembly, as um, it, as the scripture talks about it, as, as a day of going to the Lord's uh, place of worship and hearing his word and to reflect and rejoice in the relationship that God has formed with them through his activity. Well, and in the New Testament, don't you have, I mean, we, we do have, it's not a question. I know it is. I know it's there. Um, Jesus heals people on the Sabbath day. Jesus engages with with dispensing grace and mercy and 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 the blessings of a, of a Lord who cares on the Sabbath day, and they, they judge him for it, right? Um, how dare you do this on the Sabbath day? And what does he say? The Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath, right? Um, that, that the Sabbath day was created for God to give to us and, and allow us to, to enjoy these blessings that he has given so that we take a time off and we, we step back and we just give thanks and receive these wonderful gifts um, in, in this miraculous way. And, and he refocuses that by saying, you know, part of that is healing. They were given this gift. Part of that is <clears throat> the mercy of, 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 of understanding forgiveness and receiving it. And these things are happening on the Sabbath and he's getting nailed and he's re, refocusing the sinful mind that looks at it and says, that's not the way the Sabbath is supposed to be because you're supposed to do nothing. But yet, what do we have in the Old Testament? Forty years of the people wandering in the in the wilderness, right? Forty years of them wandering in the wilderness, and the Lord provided for them, um, sharing with them, even on the Sabbath day, uh, especially on the Sabbath day, as He gave them twice as much the day before, and then held it over. Um, he, I mean, you'd think after forty years you would understand the reliance of uh, of sitting on the Lord, um, and yet they lose it. 
I, I'm going to wrap up the our discussion on the Sabbath day just go for with, it. Just with the discussion of Jesus saying, "Come to me, all you who are weary, and I and you, and I will give you rest." How the Sabbath day is always pointing ahead to Jesus, and how through the life of Jesus, He would give God's people rest through His Word, and how today we find rest through God's Word as well, whether that be in our homes or in worship on Sunday or whenever, whichever day of the week we worship. That leads us to the Passover, which if, if you want to look at all of the festivals, the one that's probably most known by our folks in the pew, it would be the Passover because every Maundy Thursday we're reminded of the Passover because Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper on this Passover day. The Passover, of course, was a remembrance of God delivering his people, that great salvation act of God in the Old Testament where he rescued God's people from the hand of Pharaoh with the angel of death who had passed over all of the Hebrew homes that had the blood of the lamb, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And so every year they were to celebrate the Passover. They were to have a lamb that is sacrificed. Um, and that lamb reminded them of that, of, of the Passover in the old Testament, but also pointed ahead to Jesus who is the lamb of God. Well, and I, and, and here's just something interesting and, and maybe you can correct me on this or, or you can disagree with me on this and that's fine too. Um, the, the Passover is one uh, other than the Sabbath day. Um, cause the Sabbath day we, we just talked about, but, uh, the first two, the, the Sabbath day and the Passover are the two festivals that exist before the giving of the law. They are just pure and utter grace. That's what they are. They're just, they're just. They're, they have nothing to do with ceremonial law. They are just pure and utter grace. This is God's action for people, right? Um, and and throughout Israelites' history, um, some of the further festivals, and I'm not necessarily talking about the festival of first fruits uh, or the festival of weeks, which which we then will celebrate, and, and that's Pentecost, and we'll talk about that. But I'm talking about like the the Day of Atonement. They disappear. In, in the history of, of God's people, um, because the temple is destroyed, because the Ark of the Covenant goes away. And we see that the, the people of Israel, they, f- they, 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 they flock to the retention of the Passover. And the Passover becomes this central festival that really is the pinnacle of of, of the year. And I find that amazing. And and we had a whole episode, uh, episode 151 that was on, on the day of atonement. And, and so I, I don't want to take anything away from that, but I think, I think the reality, especially later on in, in God's people's history and in our history, we couldn't celebrate the day of atonement because the altar was gone. The, 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 the I, I should say the, uh, the Ark of the covenant was gone. The mercy seat was gone. The Holy of Holies was empty because God is 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 with his people um and not just there behind behind the tent. And and so what did they get? They got pure unadulterated mercy and grace through through the remembrance of this Passover when God acted on their behalf and still does. Um and that became the pinnacle of of their celebrations. Um they loved the Passover. They they loved the Passover. The Passover was was an extreme event. Um, and, and later on in the book of Kings, what is it that they, they pull out all the stops because they find the book of the law, right? And they celebrate the Passover and everyone's excited, um, because they, they reclaimed the celebration of the Passover, which they had lost. Um, I, I, the, it, that to me links us to the words of, 
uh, more so to the, the words of John the Baptist, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, um, links us to the moment of Monday Thursday. Monday. Monday. Monday? Monday. No A. No A. Um, it links us to that Thursday <laughs> <laughs> on which our Lord was betrayed. Right. And, and to the Friday uh, where he, he gives his, his life for all people. Um, and yes, there is illustrations of the Day of Atonement in there, but really it's, it's all grace given to God's people with the blood of the Lamb on Passover. Yeah, and it does link the Old Testament. The greatest salvation act of the Old Testament was God rescuing his people from Egypt, and the greatest uh, salvation of act of God, period, is Jesus giving his life on the cross. So the Passover has a lot of significance for our folks because we, that every Maundy Thursday, we we are remembering of the Sabbath, the, of the, the Passover. Our kids in confirmation, when they're learning about the Lord's Supper, the question is, when was the Lord's Supper instituted? Well, it was on the Passover day. So it was something that we repeat and remember, uh, probably foremost on our mind. But there are other festivals that we have that God puts in Leviticus chapter 23 that are maybe unfamiliar. Yeah. And it, it, and it continues with the, go ahead. Well, what? I was going to say, I was, I was going to say, you found a gem. I did, but in... we're not there yet. <laughs> we're, we're at first fruits. We're at the no, festival. No, we're not at first fruits. We're at the unleavened bread. That's that right after that. So the day right after. <laughs> Fine. So so the festival of unleavened bread happens after, and so that's when God's people for seven days were not to eat any bread without yeast. So it's a reminder of sin. You purge your home from sin, and there's a correlation with Christ, uh, who purges us from all sin by suffering and dying on the cross. So there's the, the festival on unleavened bread. Now, let's go to the gem of the first fruits. So two days after the Passover, this uh, first fruits festival takes place, and the first. So it's the beginning of the harvest. So God's people were to take the first sheaf of grain or barley and uh, bring it to the tabernacle or bring it to the temple, and the priest would wave it before the Lord as an offering. I the farmers always appreciate this as. Uh, farmers who like to start the harvest don't like to stop for anything. You know, they don't want, they're not going to stop. Once the, the the conditions are ripe for harvest, they want to keep going until it's all harvested because you never know what tomorrow will bring, what kind of weather will bring, and how the Lord instills trust uh, in God's people. As you um, are harvesting, bring the first of it to me first, trusting that the rest of the harvest will be there when you get back. The rest of the harvest will be there and provide for you and your family, which is carries over in the in the new testament life so as well. can i just give a, a a quick life lesson that i learned about this and it had nothing to do with with grain harvest but it had something to do with with um uh cattle harvesting <laughs> uh ranching when i was in uh my last call um and i had first got there uh during the during you know they usually would calve out their their cattle uh in the spring and they would calve them out sometimes in the fall again and every time they were calving, I would lose like all the men of the congregation because they would be at home and they, had, you know, the, the cattle could be born at any time and they had to watch to make sure that the, 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 the cows were giving birth and that the, everything was okay. <clears throat> I had one rancher, one rancher named Bob, great guy. Um, and even during calving season, he was always in church. Always in church. And I remember sitting down, he, he would come in and he would sit right at the, the, the entrance to the church and he would say hi to everybody who walked in before he'd go into church. And 
And one day I, I finally got, it. I'm like, everyone else is gone. All the men are gone. They're all calving. And Bob's still, Bob's there. And I know he had like 350 head. He, he did, a, there was a lot of calving going on. And I sat down with him right before church one day. And I said, Bob, I said, you got to answer this question for me. Everybody else is calving and they're not here because they're watching their cows. I said, what about you? Why are you here? And know what Bob says to me? He goes, pastor, he says, cows have been getting birth long before I was born and cows will be given birth long after I'm gone. He says, if they can't do it without me for an hour, he says, then we've got real problems. That is an amazing thing of trust, right? Um, so that was my... Not to say it's wrong for... No, 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 no. I, it wasn't the point. The point was that that For he, that particular individual. For, that yeah. was his life of faith. That's how he expressed it. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I thought that was amazing. That was It was really kind of neat. Um, but he was also the same guy who every spring they would take a calf that was born and that was does that was donated to the church, um, in the sense of when that was grown up and they they finally sold it, whatever the proceeds were, no matter what the prices were, that was given to the church. That's a good memory. Uh, it is a good memory. And, and First fruits. Good witness of a uh, of one of God's people. Um, putting their faith and trust in God, which was the was, was the point of the first fruit festival, was to give your first to the Lord, and the Lord will provide for the rest. However, isn't it fascinating that the f- festival of first fruits also happens to hap- happens to land on Easter? And so, when the Apostle Paul talks about uh, for, in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse twenty, he says, "But Christ, but the fact is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep." That gives. Hopefully that gives you, a, a dear listener, another layer to the whole first fruits conversation. We know that Jesus, because of Jesus' resurrection, all resurrections before and after are possible. All of those resurrections are linked to his resurrection. But just the, the fact that on this festival, on the festival of first fruits, Jesus just happens to show up. Well, and isn't is and, and, and I would have to go back and take a look at the parable, but doesn't Jesus say that the, the a seed must die? And, and then the harvest. And you have that, you see that in this first fruits, and you see that especially in Jesus. He must die, right? And then he is the first of the, the, the great harvest to come. Um, and that is a beautiful connection. Uh, a beautiful connection to, to our Lord who now reinstates the new Sabbath, which is Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> he just wants to throw that in there just to... <laughs> Just to see if I'm paying attention to what I'm talking about. I'm just not just waiting to, to speak. <laughs> Again, any sab- the Sabbath is a time that you take off to focus on the Lord and his blessings to you. And it can be any day as long as it's Sunday. <laughs> All right. So let's uh, go on with another festival that is in another spring festival, the last of the spring festivals, which would be the festival of Pentecost, which uh, if of the <laughs> festivals, that would probably be the second most one that God's festival people would know. of weeks, festival of weeks. Yes. Um, uh, th- this is the final uh, harvest festival. So after you finished harvesting your crops, then you go and give thanks to the Lord. So what an interesting correlation that the festival of Pentecost also happens on another day of harvest, when the Lord, uh, the Holy, when the Lord um, calls God's people and the Holy Spirit works in God's people, and three thousand people um, come to faith, a harvest 
that began um, on that day continues to today in the birth day of the New Testament church. Yeah, and that is a holiday that is is 50 days after, right? Um, and in the in in our church practice, it's really 49 because we it's a seven weeks um, <clears throat> that we celebrate of Easter. So we get about as close as we can to, to, to celebrating that day, but it is it is such a rich time when when we see the the harvest and it's full, right? being reaped and brought into into the Lord's kingdom. All right, then we have a couple of festivals that... Um, yeah, that's the fall festivals, yeah, which but, reflect the life of the church. But we don't really see them play out throughout the history of God's people. The, the Really, those spring festivals are the, are the pinnacle, right? Well, we see the Day of Atonement. Up until a point, right, and then that disappears because the 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 temple is destroyed. Um, but I'm like in the New Testament, though we don't see a lot of those fall festivals being celebrated um, in, among God's people because the fall festivals point to an event that's happening in our future. Explain that to us, then. So anyway, so the fall festivals you have the first festival, which would be uh, the. What's it called? The Feast of Trumpets. So there's yeah, lots the of Ram's Horn. Ram's Horn, the shofar being blown um, on the seventh day, seventh month. Um, it's talked about more if you're interested in reading. It's in Numbers 29, verses 1 to 6, which, uh, interestingly enough, in the New Testament, they talk about when Jesus comes again. At there's the sounding of the trumpets. trumpets. Oh, on the last day. Wow, interesting correlation. Um, the Day of Atonement, uh, which we talked about on in, on in our program on uh, one episode number one hundred and fifty one, which has a lot of parallels to uh, the final judgment of God, where all of our sins are finally going to be removed forever. Uh, the scapegoat of the devil and the world and our sinful flesh will be kicked off the hill. And no longer will we have to deal with uh, a sin. Sin will be completely atoned for and paid for and taken care of on the last judgment. So, Well, well talk- sin is already atoned for. Yes, exactly. Right. But the, all of it's the effects of sin. Have right. Been- the final yeah. proclamation over it will be, will be pronounced. Correct. Then uh, the final festival that happened in the fall is the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Shelters, where God's people would replicate what it was like living out in the wilderness. They would build a a shelter um, over there. Maybe it's on the roof of their house because the roofs were flat, or maybe they actually went out and went camping, um, the the Old Testament version of the KOA, I guess, and just going out and, and replicating what it was like uh, to... Uh, live out there in the wilderness and according to the to the regulations that god put in his word he wanted them to at least eat meals up in these shelters but some if possible to eat all of their uh, meals up there Uh, it did correspond interestingly enough to the fruit harvests of the old testament and so with these fruit harvests it uh it you can see some interesting correlations when jesus talks about uh, the end of the world, and he does talk about it in terms of this fruit harvest, uh, the the um, trampling of the grapes, and so on. So, and I don't know if in your reading did they make any connection 
uh, uh, to so the yeah the feast of the tabernacles could be either the last day or the idea of we're going to be living somewhere not here or living somewhere better uh, where God is going to be with us like God was with the Old Testament people in the wilderness. So it's a reference to the eternal life, the new heavens and the new earth. So so. And and maybe and I didn't I didn't go through and do a bunch of research on this one, but I'm just taking it from what I know of scripture and and putting it all together. I I'm taking it from that that very first section from 30, verse 33, you know, to to verse 36, and it seems to me like that is the church age, that that we are living in tents, we are living not in our permanent home, and then focusing on God's final words. This is a closing ceremony. This is this that we are living. We are living in remembrance of who we are, and that this is not our final home. This is not what we we. And this is the closing ceremony, uh, the church age, right? Um, and and so beautifully throughout the scriptures, God describes this that we are foreigners here, right? This is not our final home. This is, we we should we should be in the world, but not of the world. Um, and this idea that that the, the number seven is is a number of completion. Um, it is, it is six yeah. is the incomplete, um, but seven is the, the completed of creation. Yeah. That's a, that's an actually, an, an, I think that's a better point than what I was talking about. I guess it was just the, the correlation with the, again, all of these correlations, you're like, well, is this really what it, the, you know, Jesus mentions the trampling of the grapes in terms of the end of the world. Is that specifically back to this, or is that just Jesus talking about? actually trampling so how much do we want to read into what jesus has to say so i'll i'll amend my thoughts there just the idea of uh god's people were living in tents now we're not home just like abraham and the writer to the hebrews when he talks about i am but a stranger here. i'm but a, i'm but a stranger here that he was looking forward to <clears throat> his uh city that yeah. he was looking forward to and that he wasn't in his uh, final home where god's people were reminded that even in a in a when they're living in homes that are very permanent. Uh, this is only a temporary stay. That they're they're looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth. Well, and and the reality, I think of. Um, I just I just had the opportunity to bury a very faithful witness to the Lord on Monday, and the the reality and the hope and comfort that you don't have to live in this body forever. Um, this body is horrible. I mean, it it has aches and pains and problems. <clears throat> Both you and I can. <laughs> Forty did not treat us very well. <laughs> No age treats me very well, <laughs> but but the idea though that there is this there is something so much better that God is preparing for us, and that this this to me the the festival of shelters uh, really highlights God's better for you, and and to remember God has something better for you. Um, for the people of Israel, they're living in it in in the in the paradise that God had brought them to. Right, this is the promised land for you. Um, for us, our promised land is that of the new the new heavens, the new earth that is going to be for us and in the glorified bodies that are going to be ours. Um, and so we wait. And for that time, uh, this is the last ceremony um, before, before God ushers all of this in and, and the new age begins. So uh, we began the show talking about one more thing. Now we're looking at, in chapter 24, we're looking at the holy foods. And Will, you did a lot of uh, research, deep dive yeah. into oils and breads and, yeah, your insight. Tell us more so, about that. So, so we have these. So, 
in in chapter 24 you have the the proclamation of keeping the the candles lit um, before in the temple and before the Lord um, and and you have this perpetual burning of the lamps this is where in most of our churches you have um, the 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 eternal candle that sits there and now it's plugged in. <laughs> It used to be an actual candle, um, but this idea of of keeping the the this fire burning, this light always there before the people in the temple, um, and the correlation between our Savior, the light of the world, right? He is he is the light of the world, and and he's always shining forth. Um, there's this this that beautiful correlation that that here in the holy place um, is God's light for us, and and this is a perpetual thing for us to gather around. The symbol of a candle has always, you know, that uh, we still have it in our churches, even if we turn our candles on because it's connected to a light bulb. But just that that, that fascinating uh, imagery of Jesus being present and he being the one, the reason why we have joy, the reason why uh, there that we can see things clearly because he is the truth. Jesus is the light. Well, and it, it, it has even further ramifications than that because you, you have in the book of Revelation, you have um, the, the lampstands, the seven lampstands, <clears throat> and, and you have this connection to um, not only Jesus being the light of the world, but also because of Christ and his work, his people are many lights in the world. They, they don't put your light under a bushel, you know, let it shine. Um, the idea of, of us being many Christs dressed in, in, in Christ that we are are shining forth into this world as his ambassadors as well. Um, there's just these beautiful ideas of, of uh, and pictures of that ever constantly burning Savior who is working in the world and, and present in the world. We then have uh, associated with that, though, we have the idea of the holy bread, which is... Um, Something that I found extremely interesting that you have the, the, the flour and everything is brought into the temple by the people. The, the, so the community gives these things to the, the, the priests. They make this bread and they sh- it, 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 the bread goes in there and it can only be eaten in the Holy of Holies. And it, it's always got the gotta, holy place, the holy the place. Sorry, the holy place. It, it can only be eaten in the holy place, but it is a gift of food. That was the highlight. It was the gift of food to the Lord. That was eaten by the priests. <laughs> and and uh, the connection, again, comes, and, and this is the beautiful part, Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. Um, he's connecting himself to this imagery of the bread that the priests would eat. Um, you then expand that out. If you want to expand that out, we do some hop, skipping, and jumping. Um, you see this in this wonderful blessing of the Lord's Supper where Christ places himself, his body in bread for you. And where is it eaten? It is eaten in the holy place, right? It's eaten in his church amongst the priesthood of all believers. Um, we, we have this opportunity to, to, to take this bread and eat this bread that is a gift of the Lord, um, uh, a gift for, from him to us, uh, for him. And, and so there's these beautiful connections that you have in the book of Leviticus that, that you can look at it and you can approach it and say, these are ordinances, these are the have-tos. Or you can, and, and maybe this is something to be said about even the things that happen in the church. Many things that happened in the church were, were established for the sake of, of, of teaching, and they became tradition. 
And they became, and, and many people look at it and say, well, this is how we've always done it, so you have to do it this way. And, and, and this is where Leviticus steps in and says, no, let's know why we're doing this. There is, there is echoes throughout all of the scriptures that this is Christ. This is the fulfillment of Christ. This is God's grace for you. This is the divine service and God bringing you into his holiness and keeping you in his holiness and keeping you clean. And you see the echoes reverberate out throughout the pages of Scripture as we go forward. We can come back and, as we've done already, here's Jesus. Here's Jesus' fulfillment. Here's what he did. Here's how it impacts. This is what's going on. Um, and, but it, the idea is not that it forms a tradition. Okay, we have to have a light. I mean, so when you're in church and you're looking up there and you see that you see that little flickering light with a glass, red glass globe, and you're like, oh, I wonder what that is. It's the presence of Christ always among us, right? It's the presence of Christ always burning. That's its point. That's its its its, its feature. When we see the Lord's Supper and we, we look at this and we're like, okay, we're getting the Lord's Supper. We should be thinking Passover. Yep, think Passover. But you should also be thinking Christ is the bread of life. You should be thinking um, these are the, the, the wonderful gifts of the Lord as he comes into your life and interacts with you and gives himself to you for, for your purpose to keep you and make you holy. And you have that wrapped up here in these final little little reminders, right? Keep the light burning. Keep the bread there. Only eat it in this circumstance. When you're a priest, only participate in this. Uh, and, and it kind of breaks all of that open. There are several layers to that uh, daily bread. We're not just thinking about God providing for us every day, but we're also thinking about how God provides for us in sending Jesus, who is the bread of life, or without him, uh, we will not be spiritually alive. There's also an attachment to the Lord's Supper, a bread that we eat, which also happens to be his body. So, uh, Holy Foods and uh, chapter 25, we've got two well, we more skipped, chapters. We skipped one thing of the, the blaspheming of the holy name. Yeah, the blaspheming of the holy name actually makes it, uh, is actually a correlation to, uh, if you're looking at the entire Torah in terms of th- themes and topics that are talked about, it is um, symmetrical. And so you've got the beginning, Genesis, and then you have the end, uh, on Deuteronomy, and the, the different themes. And if you if you go backwards, the center of it all is the Day of Atonement. But as you go out from that, the, the themes of the blasphemy of the names corresponds to uh, the Golden Calf episodes. Well, and it and it goes and it has echoes that go forward. And I just had to re- refresh myself on the on on, on the section here. Um, you go forward into the New Testament, and and you see uh, Jesus accused of blasphemy. Uh, the early church accused of blasphemy, right? Because they are um, Jesus is accused of blasphemy because he is associating himself, saying he is the Lord. Uh, the early church accused of blasphemy because they're calling Jesus the Lord. Um, you go to the, the pages of Romans chapter ten. And, and you have probably the most direct correlation to the words here back in Leviticus, where Paul, by the Spirit, writes um, that uh, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, and then he adds, and believe in your heart that Jesus, or God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Um, there is this idea, uh, and, and, and this is the focus of, of God's people, and, and I think God is, is intentionally saying, you can't judge the heart, I can judge the heart, but you can judge what's coming out of their mouth. And if somebody is blaspheming me, you have a pretty good understanding they're not Christian. Um, and, and I think this is one of those, those times when 
when we need to do this in our own life, where where if someone is implying Christ doesn't does not pronounce and confess Christ, they're denying him. That's that's blasphemy. Um, we live in a world of God, 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 God speech all the time. But who's Jesus? You know, um, blaspheming the name of the Lord by not acknowledging him and and confessing him, um, and that was a huge part of Levitical uh, or of of Jewish history. Now to the point where. They followed it. If you blaspheme the Lord, you're dead. And and Jesus goes, no, I am more concerned about reforming the heart, right? And and looking at this heart. And and he goes through and he he changes the heart of the blasphemous person. He changes the heart of the people who had denied him. He changes the heart of the people who didn't know who he is. Um. And and so he had this beautiful uh, idea of what does it mean to blaspheme and how is it that God works within it to correct the problem, uh, essentially. That, I, I thought that was interesting. Chapter 25. Apparently I'm the only one. <laughs> we don't talk about blasphemy anymore. <laughs> All right. If I have to respond to everything you say, these podcasts would be really, really long. Well, I suppose, I suppose. So sabbatical years in the year of Jubilee. Um, important, important stuff, right? Um, so we have sabbatical years that deal with, with the, the, really the, the laying over of land. Um, God's protecting his creation so that we don't, cause you know, it, it doesn't seem to me that mankind would ever abuse <laughs> something, right? <laughs> that doesn't seem right. Um, no, actually it does. Dear listener, we abuse things all the time. And the Lord is placing into, into this whole system the idea of looking out for his creation, um, giving us a remembrance that you can't just keep using, 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 take, 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 take. There, there is a time of replenishment. There is a time that is needed. Uh, just like on every seven days, you are supposed to re, uh, rest and be replenished by the Lord. So too, the earth must also be replenished every seven years, right? Um, that that there's this time of of reset that goes on. Um, also then connected to that is the year of Jubilee. And and maybe you want to walk us through some of that. The year of Jubilee reminds us that uh, God's people, um, even though the Lord provides their God's and God's are God's people are his people because he has claimed them to be his own, that there are sometimes uh, mistakes in stewardship of what God has given to us. Sometimes there's people being taken advantage of. Maybe there are some lean years because they're living in a sinful world. So what does God put in place? He puts in place this year of Jubilee, which is a reset every 50 years. So even if you, ha- you were disadvantaged or down out on your luck and you had to uh, sell your property, you knew that in 50 years you would get it back. If you had to sell yourself into slavery because you, you couldn't provide for yourself and now you're dependent on somebody else to provide for you, 50 years, you would be re- it would be a reset. So this, this uh, and the, the, there's so much of God telling his people he is their God. He is the one who is watching out for them that don't worry about even if you have to have two years where you don't have to plant crops, don't worry about it. I will provide for you. I will take care of you, your daily bread, and 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 so on. You, you also, as God's people, watch out for one another and care for one another through the use of the year of Jubilee. So, and I was just I, I was just rereading some of this, and there's some beautiful connections back t- to that the feasts, right? And you have the feast of the ram's horn, and you know you make that connection to on the last day the you'll have the trumpet call. And how awesome do you have here with this year of jubilee? You have seven seven years, right? 
Um, really, it's 49 uh, or seven. Uh, what did they say? No, it's, it's seven weeks of years, uh, 49 years. So for 49 years, you're going to have this this struggle. 49 years, you're going to be in this place of, of people wheeling and dealing and taking advantage and, and those types of things. And then it says, then you shall sound the blast on the ram's horn. Instantly, you're starting to think, okay, we're back to another festival day, right? We're, we're back to this end time imagery. Um, and, and it's going to be on the day of atonement. Um, you know, you're going to have this change in the seventh month on the 10th day, on the day of atonement, you are to have a ram's horn sounded, um, and they will reset, right? And things will just be reset. How beautiful is this imagery of the church age, the imagery of, of the, the, the set time to completion of, Things aren't perfect. We're dealing with the life of sin. We're and then remember in the year of Jubilee, everything gets reverted back to its owner. Well, who do we belong to? Right? And in the last day when the when the trumpet calls, who will be who whose possession will we we once again be given back to? Um, we are God's possession. We are the Father's possession. Um, we are the Son's possession, and we He will retake ownership of us and the world and everything in it. Um, there's just a beautiful connection and, and maybe even so, uh, the connection that you would have to the gospel lesson this week, right? With, um, Luke chapter four, where you have, uh, Satan, one of his, uh, his, his temptations of Jesus as he takes him up and in a moment of time, he lets uh, all of, of, of the world powers be seen by, by Christ. And he says, I'll give it to you. It's been given to me only for a time, right? Only for this time. And when the trumpet calls, it's going back, <laughs> Jesus just has to wait. <laughs> it's, it's, I yeah, I like uh, your connection to the New Testament Church Year of Jubilee because um, the Roman Catholic Church has years of jubilee. In 2015, there was a special year of jubilee, and in 2025, there's going to be another year of jubilee in the Roman Catholic Church. That's the end of the world. <laughs> where. <laughs> Where you can go and buy special indulgences, the times that you go to the to mass on the year of jubilee are going to be, be more beneficial for you. You're going to get more years uh, knocked off of purgatory. I bought one ahead of time for you. <laughs> I should frame one in my office. <laughs> so you it, don't it, you can't imagine the hoops I had to jump through once I told them this is for a Lutheran pastor, pastor. friend of mine. <laughs> So, yeah, dear friend who thinks that indulgences are a thing of the past, they're still there. This this whole system of you do this for God and and or you do this for you do this for the church more specifically and then the church will do all of this for you perhaps maybe if the year is right cuz somehow for for some reason because the papacy says it's a year of jubilee because he somehow has control over the treasury of merit that now because he has says so there's more forgiveness instead of Christ saying to his church, if you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. Right, but but and ultimately, the ultimate year of jubilee is is Christ coming back and 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 all ownership. the 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 owner is coming back to take account. Right, we have those in many parables where he gives and leaves his gifts, and then he comes back. Um, and and this is the year of jubilee. He comes back, and it it belongs to him. Um, and he takes ownership of it again. Um. 
Now, does he not have ownership? Well, sure he does. But if you're going through the catechism and you walk through the catechism when you get to uh, uh, your kingdom come, where is God's kingdom now? It's in the hearts of his believers. It's in the hearts of of those that he has claimed as his people. Um, where will it be? Eventually, it will be a new heaven, new earth as he he recreates his his creation. Okay, I'll... Let's move on from the year of Jubilee because it's, it's you know, you can only talk about the good stuff for so long. Um, and so you have to move because because the Lord, he, he doesn't want you to get too excited. So he always curbs the really good news with one more thing, one more thing. And that one more thing is some promises and a warnings uh, from our Lord. Uh, and that's chapter 26, right? Promises and warnings. Um, so you have some some wonderful promises. Probably the main promise uh, um, is the work of God. I, I underlined some of them. Of course, he says, uh, I am the Lord. So that's a good promise. Um, I will give rains. I will give peace. I will eliminate the ferocious animals. I will look on uh, favor with you. I will make you fruitful. I will multiply you. I will keep my covenant with you. I will place my dwellings in your midst. I will not um, at all detest you. I will walk about in your midst. I notice that there's just a continual list. I will be your God. Um Look at all of these things. And then all of a sudden in verse 14, it changes to the warnings of God's not going to stop doing all of these things just because you you step in it. But the reality is you're going to step in it. And, and, and when you step in it, there's some really, really good warnings. So I had the opportunity to share the good news. I will let you, since you so well share bad news. I always share bad news. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if I do it well. Uh, but, but you say your uh, voice sh- says it in a way that people are like, oh, oh, <laughs> I have such a gentle voice, <laughs> the gentle nature. When I say bad news, they're like, Pastor, you had a little bit too much joy in that. <laughs> <laughs> you enjoyed yourself way too much. Uh, the um, I for our dear listeners, going through Leviticus twenty six reminds you of the conclusion to the commandments when you are reminded of that God uh, does have. There are consequences. You know, one more thing, this is the wonderful relationship that God has set up, uh, the sacramental relationship that he has set up with, with sacrifices, with the priests, with food, with clean and unclean. But there are consequences if you don't keep these commands. And the same thing is true with the, the commandments of God. God does uh, really make some very strong threats and uh, promises to punish, as we remember in Confirmation. And uh, it is a it's sobering, but it also sometimes leads us to believe that this is the old the what God put together in the Levit- in Leviticus is a two sided covenant. It's not. You remember Leviticus starts with God saying, "I am the Lord your God, you are my people." This is it starts in a sacramental way. The burnt offering is a number one offering. This is the wonderful relationship that we have that God has established. That God has called you out to be His people. And here at the end, we have the promises and the threats of punishment. So for uh, for us, yes, it is a two-sided covenant, but it is established in a sacramental way in the in Leviticus and there on Mount Sinai. Yeah, and it and in verse twenty-six or uh, chapter twenty-six ends with with when when all of these things that are the warnings come to bear, um, and they bring you low, and you confess your sins because that is how the law works. God is there. 
Yeah. And he I forgives. Will, yeah. I will remember my covenant. I yep. will remember that I made a covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And all of those covenants are one-sided covenants where God says, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. There's going to be a savior uh, through your through your descendants. So here is a is a reminder when the law does its work, when, uh, when shall we say, the discipline of God does its work, when God allows things to happen in the Old Testament uh, believers' lives, where it leads them to turn their their turn back to God and to confess their sins. Here, God says, "I will remember my covenant that I made, and that that covenant that means I'm going to forgive you because I'm going to send a Messiah. Yeah. I'm going to send a Savior uh, to take away your sins. He's going to be the the Lamb, the the sacrifice that's going to take away your sins. He's going to be the scapegoat that's going to be uh, kicked off the hill, and and uh, and and so on." Well, and I, and I, I guess to sum up the the whole part of that in those beautiful words, these are directly from the Lord Himself. Uh, in verse forty four, it starts uh, on in verse or chapter twenty six. I will not reject them. I will not detest them so much that I exterminate them. I will not annul my covenant with them. I am the Lord their God. How beautiful, right? Um, my my character. God's character, God's saying, my character, who I am, what I provide, what I do, doesn't change because you fail. I am still, I am still God. I am still here. I'm still going to do what I promise to do because I promise to do it. Right. So, so let's say, yeah, focus on the wonderful promise of forgiveness, not the promise of he's going to punish the evil doer. Right. <laughs> but realize. do that too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that brings us then to, to 27. And the only thing that I have in 27, and, and this is a this is a grand sweeping paintbrush moment of, of the description of 27. And here it is. God's people are invited to participate and support the divine service. And that's what 27 is about. You have an ability to bring offerings. You have the ability to bring uh, dedicated things in the support of the divine service as God continues to serve you. Um, this is this has ramifications that 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 find their way out into the church, right? Um, the idea of a tithe, the idea of bringing bringing something to the Lord. Uh, we don't like the use of the word tithe in 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 um, necessarily in Lutheran circles. We're like, oh, there's there's something about saying give ten percent to the Lord that we just don't like. The Lord uh, Jesus never says don't do that. He says that if you, but when you bring, bring something that is, you know, because of your heart, your heart is free and, and you're engaging with the Lord for everything that he has done for you. But he has never said, um, don't give 10%. He's never said, don't give even more than 10%. Um, what does the Lord say? The Lord says, give, give according to your heart, right? In a joyful way. Um, and you have this. What is the purpose? The, the the purpose is not for the building project, although that's good. Not for the the specific. Hey, we need this for for to start up the food bank, or we need the. But no, give because the lights need to stay on. Give because the 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 driveway needs to be redone. Give because your pastor who is bringing you the goods. Um, because he is my called worker in a corporate setting to to administer this needs to live. So give. Um, this is this is not a one-time flash in the pan. Here's something I can give to. This is a you are free in the Lord, given so many gifts, to return a portion of it in proportion to the gifts given 
so that you can support the divine ministry and the divine service that God has is, is established among you to bring you these gifts. That's my summation of 27. Good one. Good, good summary. All right. Well, then in the time that we have left and we have five minutes, let's wrap up our discussion. Uh, Hopefully, dear listener, you have enjoyed this walk through Leviticus. I have enjoyed this walk through Leviticus. I think um, before I I took this on, I decided I had thought in my head Leviticus was boring and all law. And I was wrong. Um, This is sacramental. This is a God who loves his people and wants and cherishes his people. Um, so give me your three. What do yeah, we got? Yeah, I was the one that I texted him last night. So let's talk about our three takeaways from the book of Leviticus. And you said, I've got one. And your number one is probably going to be my number one. But let's start with number three. So we're, we're doing it like a countdown. So my third takeaway of the, the, the entire book of Leviticus is the sacramental nature of a sacrificial system. Just a, the reminder. Uh, it was good for me to be reminded. It was good as I've been going through the Leviticus with my Bible class where our Bible class uh, went through the book of Leviticus, but took it in sections rather than going chapter by chapter like we've done or chapters. Um, And we looked at various concepts rather than uh, looking at how it's structured um, beginning to end. But the sacramental nature of the sacrificial system, just the idea of God is uh, it begins with him. It begins with what he has done for his people and that he has being their God, that he is uh, calling them out of this world to be his holy people. And so then he says, now that we are in this relationship, here is how you live. And that's where the sacrificial sac- um, part comes from. So that's number three for me. Number two is that uh, number two for the takeaway is all of those sacrifices for sin and guilt were all for unintentional sins. Yeah, not the intentional ones. Not the intentional ones. So, so it it uh, God's. We were just going through this in Bible class last night, where they were God's people. It was dawning on them. They were like, "Wait a minute, what about the intentional sin? Like, which sin is not intentional? Just the just the idea of they've got it in their heads, which we've which rightfully so. Our sins are intentional. We have a sinful nature. We have a new man inside of us. Which one are we listening to? we're listening to our sinful nature we can't say well you know the devil made me do it or you know i can't help it this is an act of the will uh, when we sin and just that the um how uh how depraved we are so god's people were very much aware of how depraved they are but in leviticus god isn't taking isn't looking at things from a depravity of sinful man mind sinful man he is looking at it in terms of he is calling his holy people. He has equipped them through his word. God is an, an eternal, not an eternal, he is an eternal optimist, but just he's optimistically looking at the situation where God's people, they're not going to want to do all of these sins. They're going to want to live this way because God is equipping them to live that way through his word. Well, and and the idea that that that, that really God had already changed them. Yeah. So so, you know, we we struggle with we struggle with the sinful nature. Where where we have the world, the devil, and our sinful nature that stand against us, and there's that new man that God created. That's who He's talking to in 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 the book of Leviticus. These are the people that have the new man because He created it in them. He rescued them. He's changed them, and so now He can talk to him this way. This is not talking to the person who is not a Christian and it's like oh, this is the first time I'm approaching here. What do I do? <laughs> oh, yeah. That that that's not the case because in that case, yes, this is all law, right? This is this is this is this is stuff I can never accomplish. 
Yeah, that's a very good, very good way of saying it. And I probably wish I could have said it that way to God's people yesterday. Just the idea of this is all speaking to the new person instead of speaking to the whole person, which has a sinful nature inside of us. Um, and the number one takeaway, number one takeaway, here's your opportunity, Will. No, Tell us I'm, your number one You takeaway. are doing so great. Let's see. <laughs> the number one takeaway is Christ. Yes, Christ fulfilling. Yeah, Christ fulfilling, all of this stuff pointing to Christ, all of these things, how Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all of them. And just the, the many different layers that God puts Christ or Christ reveals himself in the Old Testament. Let me put it that way because he's there. God puts Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, Christ reveals himself in the Old Testament. It says, here here I am. Oh, here I am too. Then here I am again. <laughs> right. And, and I think that's one of the main, and that was my main takeaway. My main takeaway is so many times we look at the, we can look at the book of Leviticus and say, where, you know, how am I going to fit Jesus into this? We don't have to look to find a way to fit Jesus into it. Because Jesus is is bleeding from it in every step, um, you see you see the echoes of the ministry of Christ in time for us throughout all of these steps. But you see the grace of God um, bleeding from the pages of of God using the ordinary to do extraordinary things, and 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 through those ordinary now extraordinary things being done, He preserves His people throughout time for Himself. Um, this is Christ for you, right? This this is our Lord and Savior for for what He is and who He is. Um, so as you are now walking in the throes of Lent, as you are following whichever path you're following on your Lenten services on Wednesday, as you come and you join with those other people who are sinners now gathering to receive the service of the Lord on a Sunday, remember it is Christ for you as he lives as he breathes as he walks to the cross as he dies taking on your sin and rises for you the first fruits you to follow as he says peace be with you do not be afraid